Well, I invite you this morning, let's go to Galatians chapter 4, and we will bring this fourth chapter to a close in our study this morning. This is, this is a challenging text. We've had one service already. Um, this is one of, surprisingly, but in the study, I knew this was coming, a difficult passage to preach, perhaps because it's a story. It's a story that Paul used as he wrote to the Galatians that was helpful to them in highlighting whether, and here's what we understand, everybody here is under grace or you're under the law this morning. You're either under grace, that is you're trusting in God's provision for your salvation, you're trusting in what God has done to make you right with him, or you're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in your own performance, the things that you have done. Uh, the various, your accomplishments. It's one or the other. You're either under grace, this is an environment where we thrive, or you are under the law, and this is the environment where we die. Criticism is high in the, in the law environment. Judgment, condemnation, looking down noses at people, I'm better than you. I'm, all of that abounds in environment of law. In an environment of grace, we're simply looking to Jesus. Are you under grace or are you under the law this morning? This is the question that Paul was, as a pastor, even as a parent, a spiritual parent to these Galatian believers, he wanted them to come to full understanding as your pastor. I want God to use me in a difficult text to help you discern this morning and leave either entering into a relationship with God, coming under grace, identifying that, or if you are under grace and you know Christ, that you leave encouraged this morning at what God has done to bring you into his family. Throughout the scripture, there's much family terminology. We're going to look at a family Pastor Jamie mentioned, uh, you know, Thanksgiving to get together. Uh, a lot of families, many families, are dysfunctional, right? And you get together and you pull all the uncles, aunts, cousins, and everybody else, and it's going down, right? Sooner or later, somebody's going to mention it. It's going to happen, and here we go. It's time for me to get dessert or walk a dog or something, right? <laughs> Depending on the size of your family. We're going to look at a dysfunctional family today. And I don't want you to get lost in the store. I want you to understand something. Sometimes people approach the Bible and they think that the Bible must be filled with people who were, who were great. They were marvelous examples and uh, God could never use me. It's not true. The Bible is filled with failures that God used anyway. There's only one sinless, perfect son of God. It's Jesus. No mistakes, no sins, no failures. So whenever we look at Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, we're looking to the one they needed, Jesus. We need Jesus. Paul uses an analogy in this text today. As a parent, he's asking them some questions. He wants to know, in the same way that I want to know, in all of these sermons as we've gone through Galatians, I'm asking you what Paul was asking. Are you hearing? 
Are you hearing the scripture? Like, not like your kids hear you. I heard you. Yeah, but you're still sitting there on your, you know, whatever device. And I said, please run the vacuum. I heard you. You didn't hear me. I heard you. Are you hearing the scripture? Like, is it taking root in your heart? Are you seeing God's word change you? Are you understanding the gospel? Through this study, are we seeing the gospel and you are growing in your knowledge and understanding of the gospel? And as you engage in small group and you're like, haven't we answered this question before? Haven't we talked about this? Are we we good on this? No, we're not. Because it's still not flowing off our lips in conversation with the people who don't have the gospel. So no, we haven't arrived. You don't get the star. Check, please. I'm done. Because none of us are done until he finishes the work and we're standing in his presence and glory. So we need this. Are you resisting the truth or are you receiving the truth? Are you embracing the truth? Are you bringing it? Is it changing you? And my final question and what Paul's bringing before these Galatian believers is, are you trusting in Christ alone? Jesus. Plus nothing, minus nothing. Jesus. Is your hope in Christ alone? And what Paul is doing, and I, use, I have an intense visual aid, all right? For those of you who are like, ah, break it down for me, pastor. All right, we have a saying, right? Not comparing apples with apples. If you go car shopping and you found, you know, the, I'm trying to think of a model. I used a Kia, you know, a 10-year-old Kia. And over here is a brand new on the used lot. Not brand new, can't be brand new on a used lot, but it's a new to you, couple-year-old model Mercedes. You're not comparing apples to apples if you say, hey, can I have that Mercedes for the price of the Kia? You're not comparing apples to apples. But they're both cars. I want you to understand when we are hearing what Paul is saying, he he can explain the difference. He could have showed up and he could have engaged with the Judaizers, the people that said, that's straight, great, you trust Jesus. But you also need to become Jews. Physical observance, feasts, dietary, all of that. You need the laws. He could have answered that and he knew well how to answer it because that's what he used to be. What he needs and what I need for you as a people, you have to answer this. When someone knocks on your door, when you see a video on YouTube, when you hear a teaching that's like, oh, that's interesting, I need you to understand the difference. Well, it's all, aren't we just worshiping the same God? You have to be able to see the difference. And what Paul does as he brings through the law and grace, he's helping them. He tells a story to illustrate for them so that they get it, so that they really get it. You know the difference of when you were learning something, a language, math, whatever, and it was just hard and difficult and I'm not understanding it. And then maybe for you, maybe it never did, the light went on and you're like, oh, and now it works. And now you can use it in working knowledge and whatever it is that you need that knowledge. This is what Paul is aiming for with these people. Because he's not always going to be there. He couldn't stay there. He had mission and ministry to get to. He needed them to get it. I need you to get it. 
so that when you're sitting with family, when you're sitting with coworkers and you hear spiritual talk, you can tell the difference between gospel-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, and man-centered law, tradition, religion. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? That's where we're going. That's why he tells a story. All right? Let's read this. Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. Okay, when they heard that law, they're thinking Moses' law. Yeah, yeah, that's us. That's what we've been saying. Finally, Paul, you've come over to our side. That's great. Do you not listen to the law? That's when you have the record scratch moment. Hang on a second, what? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women, now here Paul, when he says this, he's able to do something that you and I can't do. He was inspired by the Spirit of God just as Moses was giving us the first five books of the law. He's inspired by the same Holy Spirit and he gives to us an allegory. He says, let's let's speak figuratively about this. Let me use this, kind of like Pilgrim's Progress, an allegory describing a spiritual journey, coming to faith in Christ. And he's saying, let's interpret this allegorically. He is not saying it never happened. He's not saying the Old Testament is a fable. It's just a story. He's saying, these events really happened. Let me give to you a a meaning that we can get from this Old Testament account. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, talking about Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of God. Maybe you've driven a car at one point or another that pulls to the right or pulls to the left. You know what I'm talking about? You're going down the highway and you just let go of that wheel just for a little bit and there it goes. It's just drag. He's either going to the right, going to the left. Oh boy, I got to get this car aligned. This is bad. We all tend to drift to the right or to the left. We either drift, it's our tendency to drift into legalism or to drift into cast it all off and liberal, I'll do whatever I want to do. More rules, more, do whatever I want. Now, Dick Lucas is the one who gives us, I've given this analogy, this, this picture before, where he says, here's the line of truth. This is scripture. 
This is where we want to be, beloved. As an individual, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, this is where I want to be. This is where we want to be. This is where grace abounds. What is the temptation to go above the line of truth? This is what the Pharisees did. Here's the law given to us by Moses. And when Jesus arrived on this earth 2,000 years ago, they had the fence of the law. They were saying, if we don't we won't break the law if we put a fence a little further away from the law and we don't break our fence, then we're not going to break the law. When Jesus showed up, they loved their fence. They forgot all about the law. So this is legalism. It's going above. It's not really written in, it's not written in scripture. It's a preference. It's a tradition. It's something that you were raised with. It's something that this is the way we always did it. And we have all kinds of conversations like this in our house. You know, that's not where the trash can goes. That's not how you put the, all, all kinds of merging of conversations happen. Maybe that's just our marriage in our house. My way of upbringing and my wife's way of upbringing were night and day. I'm still trying to work on breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Not, not according to my wife. Okay. She's like, no. Okay. All of these, but when we elevate those and we bring them and we're going to see a text where those things are snuck in to be equal to scripture, that's legalism. Depending on my performance to be right with God. And look, I'm way over here doing all these things. They aren't. Now there's another tendency and there's another ditch that we contend to and that's liberalism. That's casting off restraint. That's woohoo! We can do whatever we want because the pastor said there's grace and that's amazing and I can just do whatever I want because I'm going to heaven. And no, that's error as well. And that's just doing what, that's below. Here's what scripture says, but hey, I've trusted in Christ so I can do whatever I want and he'll forgive me. Both are wrong. And you have to evaluate, where do I tend to lean? Maybe you were raised in a home, rules, 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 you know, schedule, was Mary Poppins, you know, schedule, schedule, schedule. And here it is, and this is the time, and all that good stuff. And you grew up, and you got out of Dodge as fast as you could. I'm going to get out of this house with, house with all these rules. And then you had children, <laughs> and all that changed, right? Maybe you grew up and there were no standards in your house. You just did whatever you want to do. You get up when you want to get up and you're like, no, we got to have rules. And then you've come the other way. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to following God, where do you tend to go? Both are error. Both abandon the truth. Both leave the truth behind. Both environments lead to harm and family dysfunction, and ruin, and chaos. Tim Keller, he gives four different types of people. Those are going to come up on the screen, and I'm just going to describe them for you. Uh, four different types of people, and you can see yourself in one of these categories, all right? The first type of, of person that he describes is a law-obeying, law-relying Okay, this is a person like, this would be a Judaizer. Here's the law and we keep the law and we hold everybody else to keep the law. Law, law, law. They're highly critical. They're judgmental. Often they're mean, but they feel justified for being mean and unkind because after all, I'm doing this for the Lord. Okay, that's one type of person. Law obeying, law relying. There's another type of person and that's a law disobeying, law relying. Now this person is a hypocrite. They're what Paul said in Romans 2. They define a standard for living. They don't go by the, the law and scripture. They, put, they come up with their own. 
And then they're like, I'm measuring up to my standards and I'm doing all right. But in Romans, Paul says, no, you're not. You don't keep your own standard. This is a hypocrite. There's a, there's a religiosity to them, but there's no grace. They're a little more nice than the Pharisee that we met first. Law obeying, you know, law relying. The third person is a person who's like, you know what? Chuck it all. I'm out of here. I'm not even trying to obey the law. I don't care about the law. I'm not relying on the law. Here's what my option is. I'll be my own judge. I'll set up my own standards. I'll be tolerant of everybody that I want to be tolerant with, and they should be tolerant of me. This person is just a rebel. But in their heart, they know something's missing. Something's broken. Something has led me to this point. Maybe they've experienced, you name it, from uh, missing parents or dysfunctional parents or people in the name of God have done things to them. And they're like, if that's what Jesus is, then I want nothing more to do with it. But here's the thing. That's not Jesus when he's misrepresented. And so they're walking away from, they're trying to find their own meaning, but you can't find your own meaning and you can't find value in life apart from the creator who made you in his image, who knows you inside and out and still loves you. That's the rebel. The fourth person is a Christian. It's a person who loves the law of God. They obey the law of God, but they're not relying on, their law to, on the law to be in right standing with God. This is a person who is like, I don't have to go to church. I want to go to church. I don't have to go to small group. I want to go to small group because that's where my brothers and sisters in Christ meet. This is where we encourage one another. This isn't, I have to tell people about Jesus. This is, I love to tell people about Jesus because he came and rescued me. Why wouldn't I tell people about this? This is where grace is. But even in this, a genuine believer will still have those first three people and you could still bear the guilt of I'm not doing enough and I should be doing more. And we wrestle with those types of personalities even though we know it's not our own performance that makes us right with God. But we're still incarcerated in these flesh tabernacles and we still have a propensity to sin. And so we need grace and we need to forgive one another and we need to stay in relationship with one another. And this is what Paul is encouraging his brothers in, in these Galatian churches. So this morning, here's the question. How can I have a right relationship with God? I would pray that this is your desire this morning. I don't know if it's your desire. I don't know if you see this and you're like, I don't want to have a right relationship with God. Listen to me, listen to me. I want to implore you. You will stand before God one day and his word will stand. And he loves you. He knows everything about you. He knows all of the brokenness. He's not interested in us cleaning ourselves up first and then coming once we're all presentable. Here I am now. Am I okay? He knows you. And he loves you. Christ died for you. So he says, come to me. How can I have a right relationship with God? From this text, number one, number one, receive the message of the whole Bible. Not just selected texts. It's the whole scripture. And if we want to sum up the whole Bible, the whole story of scripture, who do you think the Bible is all about? 
It's not me and it's not you. It's all about, give me one name. That's exactly right. It's all about Jesus. And whenever a false system knocks on your door or comes across, it always uses Jesus, but it's not all about Jesus. It uses him to gain entrance, to get a foot in the door. And then in comes all of, we're really what was preached last Sunday, you're going to make much of me. And I need to be made much of. I need to be worshiped. I heard that before when Lucifer wanted that worship in heaven and he was cast out. They didn't coexist and say, well, Jesus and Lucifer, let's just work this out. Maybe, Uh uh-uh, no. And a third of the angels fell with him and those are demons. And that goes on and there's a reality of this spiritual warfare that's going on right now in this room fighting for your attention, fighting for your life. Okay, so it's all about Jesus. This is the message of scripture. And so Paul says, tell me you who desire to be under the law. You want to be sons of Abraham? Well, yes, we got to follow the law. Then let's look at the whole law. Because Moses delivered the Pentateuch, the first five books. So let's go a little further back than Mount Sinai. And let's see what we find happening before Moses was even born. That's what Paul is doing. It's kind of like, I gotcha. You ever watch Columbo? Man, sometimes that guy drives me nuts, right? I haven't seen a Columbo show in a long time, but he almost annoys me because he's just so fumbling and fumbling. But oh, and one more thing, right? He always comes back like, you said this. And the person's like, finally, I got rid of that annoying guy. Oh, and one more thing. And they're like, what? Okay, this is what Paul is doing here. So you want to be under the law? Yes, that's right. I want to be under the law. Then let's take a look at the whole law. Swallow hard. Hmm? Really? Many opponents of the gospel, they'll use just a selected text here and there. They'll make claims that are inconsistent with the whole teaching of Scripture. So, beloved, we interpret the Bible with the Bible. What is the message of Scripture? In John chapter 5, Jesus' enemies are coming to him, and he indicts them. He says, you, see, you search the scriptures for in them that you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me and you are not willing to come to me. They had the big Bible, the scroll. They had it all. Oh, look at me. And he said, that which you're holding is pointing you to me, but you aren't willing to come to me. You're too proud. You're relying on yourself. You're relying on you and you can't rely on you and rely on Jesus simultaneously. It must be Christ alone. Teaching that comes from other writings outside of the 66 books of the Bible, we know those, these are extra biblical uh, materials. Some of these writings include the apocryphal books, the Book of Mormon, the Quran. There are various publications. There's now, you know, productions with, the, with YouTube. There's all kinds of teaching out there floating It's influential people, it's spiritual people, it's publishers, it's authors, it's television hosts, and it sounds spiritual. You know what I'm talking about? They say things that sound, oh, that that sounds almost right. But is it? Paul used an argument where he, he adopted his opponent's position for a moment, it seemed, to then walk them into showing them what you are saying, you can't support it. 
it falls apart. Your argument falls apart. Your faith, your religion, your whole system falls apart. It can't stand up. It doesn't support itself. That's what he's doing. Number two, come to God on his terms, not your performance. And not coming on your terms, come on his terms. It's not what you can do, it's what he has done. This video is played every week, right? This intro video to just put in our minds exactly what we're talking about. Is it what we do or is it, are we trusting in what God has done? Because beloved, in Christ, God made a way for sinners to be reconciled. Look at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, just a natural birth, a normal way. Y'all were born and I was born. While the son of the free woman was born through a promise. None of us here were born this way. None of us. Anybody, your dad was 100 when you were born? Somebody like, well, he's close. Yeah. This is, this is a son of promise. Verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is, now he's talking to Christians, she is our mother. See, if, if we look at this, what he's, what he's saying is there's two, two things. There was Abraham's doing and there was God's doing. There was Abraham's tr will, trying to get God's will done and then there was God doing his will through Abraham. There, there are two different approaches to God. One is Abraham's work. One is God's work. And this is how people approach God. Here's what I do. Here's what I've done. Here's how I pray. Here's all this, all these religious things. Here's my resume. And then there's true Christianity. He saved me, period. They're not the same. They're fruit. They grow on a tree, but they're not the same. But we worship the same God. Well, you have to work that out. You're sensible people and he uses an argument to do this. First of all, you see Abraham... Okay, and this is in Genesis uh, 16, this account. Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. How, how did this come about? Welcome to um, Jerry Springer in Genesis, okay? This is, this, is, this is mayhem, okay? Abraham, Sarah comes up with the plan. Hey, God's promise isn't coming soon enough, so let's get this done. I have a servant. Her name is Hagar. She's from Egypt, Okay, Egypt in the Bible, this, the, the, we're going to do this the earthly way. They were delivered from Egypt, but here we go. Egypt. Egyptian servant girl. Why don't you marry her? That's how we're going to have a son. Abraham said, okay, honey, you know, whatever, if that's what you think. Two wives. Room just got a little crowd. Date night just got a little awkward, didn't it? Yeah, and when she got pregnant, then it really turned south. And Sarah looks on her with contempt because now she realizes, I'm, I'm the barren one, not my husband. So now, whatever she was feeling before this, she's feeling a way worse now. And she looks over there, and there's Hagar, and that baby bump begins to show and there's all the care and whatever's going on. Oh, you know, and there's Sarah just getting more and more angry and more and more fed up. 
And whose idea was it? It was hers. And Abraham, he messed up God's plan, which is one woman, one man for life. And he listened to his wife. And we're still dealing with the conflict from this dysfunction in this family, just like we are from Adam and Eve. Well, if you look at this, Abraham follows Sarah's advice, marries Hagar. Ishmael is born. He's a son of the law. This is earthly Jerusalem, which Paul is talking about. This is a son. When a slave woman bears a son, what is that son? A slave. So Paul, he's walking them, and all of the Judaizers, they would have known this story better than the Galatians who are Gentiles. They didn't grow up hearing all of these accounts. They grew up in foreign lands. And so they're hearing this, and the Judaizers in the room would have been like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And you gave birth to sons who are slaves. And that's, and this is what Paul is saying, and that's you. That's what you are bringing to the Galatians. He's indicting them. We need grace. Listen, if we come to a marriage altar right here, and there's a bride and a groom, and then you have a groom's ex-girlfriend sitting out here in the audience, and he still, you know, has affection for her, that's not good. It's not going to work. It's not room for a wife and a girlfriend. Uh-huh. No. Now, this, this, this home is messed up. There's so much pressure in this home now. There's anger. There's hatred. Why? They didn't wait on God. They did things their way. Now they're in trouble. You ever been there? Did things your way? How'd that work out? I needed to help God. <laughs> Whatever follows that statement, never good. God needed my help. No. Law and grace, they don't get along. The law drives us to Christ, but it cannot do anything to save us. The law is purposeful, it's useful, it held the people in, it held them as unique to raise up a nation to give us Christ. Our hope is in Christ. It's not in the law. So then there's God's doing. That was Abraham's doing. You get Ishmael. Then there's God's doing. Abraham was graced by God and supernaturally, Genesis 21, produced a son of the promise, a son of promise. At this time, Abraham was 100. That's pretty old to be, yeah, I think it's your time to change, you know, it's your turn to change diapers. Like, What? I've been sleeping for hours now. This is a foreshadow of Christ to be born of Mary. This is a supernatural birth. There's nothing natural about this. And Paul links all this together with a heavenly Jerusalem. So Abraham, God's work now, opens the womb of Sarah. Sarah it becomes pregnant, and she's going to bear a son. This son's name is Isaac. A year prior to this happening, God says, here's what you're going to name the boy I give you. His name's going to be Isaac. Write that down, Abraham. Isaac, that's going to be the name. A year from, there he is, he's born. This is a son of grace. This is of heavenly Jerusalem. This is God's doing, not Abraham's doing. That's what Paul is showing these two contrasts. Number three, Trust in the gospel. 
that opposes all systems of works righteousness. This outline is a little more choppy than what I normally like. But it's a story he's telling. It doesn't just flow out in an easy way. I want you to get, I want you to get the message. The gospel stands apart from every other works righteousness system on planet earth. There's really only two religions on the earth. God saved me and all others. I'm doing this, that, and the other and not doing this, that, and the other. And this is the way I think it is to salvation. I hope it's right. But I can't be sure. I can't be certain. So there's fear and there's slavery and indebtedness. Over here, there's freedom. Oh, he made me his son. He adopted me. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I love God. This is freedom. He gave me a family and we belong together. And, and we're going to spend forever with the one who died for me. How can I serve? Very different. These two don't get along. Trust in the gospel. Jesus plus nothing minus nothing equals salvation. As soon as you try to add one thing in there, well, you've got to be baptized. Jesus in baptism, that's where you, you know, your sins are washed away. Or Jesus, and uh, go through catechism. You've got to go through communion. You've got to go through uh, a mission trip. You've you know, you got to go through this. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. Add one thing to that, and you have poisoned and perverted the gospel. Grace produces joy. Look at verse 27, for it is written, Rejoice! O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who had a, has a husband. Paul, here he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 54, written to when, when the Israelites were enslaved in the Babylonian captivity. It took a supernatural act to bring them home. They didn't rise up. Here we are, slaves, and you got some swords, and I've got some swords, and, and we're going we're gonna to fight the powers that be, and we're going home. Nope. They were scattered, powerless, forgotten, but not by God. He said, I know who you are, and I know where you are, and I will bring you back, and I will accomplish my promise to Abraham. Wherever you are, God knows where you are. And he will accomplish his will, his purpose and plans in your life. And you can trust him for this. You can learn from Sarah. You can learn from Abraham that the Holy Spirit will take it, apply this to your heart so that you know you're loved. And it's not based on what you do or don't do. It's based on what Christ has done. This produces joy. God delivered them by his sovereign hand. How do you think a person comes to know Christ? God delivers them by his sovereign hand. It's his sovereign, free grace. Amen? It's not by anything we can do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. This is the point of this whole letter. It's all Romans. It's the Bible. It's what God has done in Christ for us. So here we are, 4,000 years later, and Abraham's decision to follow his wife's suggestion is still playing out in our nightly news, is it not? Descendants of Ishmael, the Arab people, and their hatred for the Jewish people, 
And the Jewish people have a hatred for the descendants of Ishmael. And the descendants of Isaac, we are the ones, we are the chosen ones. And descendants of Ishmael, we are the chosen ones. And it's our ancestor and we're all connected to Abraham. Beloved, whether you are a descendant of Isaac or a descendant of Ishmael or a descendant of any other tribe of people, we have access to Jesus. And we're partnered with the ministry that is going to the people who are descendants of Ishmael saying, do you know that your father Abraham was given a promise and it's in Jesus of Nazareth and he died for you as well? Not just for his own, but for all people. Did you see the promise that the barren will have more children than the one who is a child? And there are people today who are coming to faith in Christ who once followed Islam and once followed Buddhism and Hinduism and all the other isms of the world and they're coming to know Christ. Amen? This is, why, this is partly why we give, why we're praying for our missionary partnerships, that we will never go anywhere and say, not for you. Nope, you're too bad. Oh, you have blown it and made a mess of your life, haven't you? So sorry about your luck. Uh-uh. We can tell anybody, anywhere, whatever you've done, wherever you come from, whatever you've been through, God loves you. He gave his one and only son for you. And if you will just receive this gift of life, but you can't say, I'll pay for that. I'll suffer after I die in purgatory for that. Nope, he already suffered. All suffering is done. The father isn't interested in any more suffering of his sons. It's done. You must trust in Christ. We all need Jesus. Isaac needed Jesus. Abraham needed Jesus. Sarah needed Jesus. Hagar needed Jesus. Ishmael and all of his descendants they need Jesus. And you, if you don't have Jesus, you need Jesus. Like, write that down. I need Jesus. <laughs> Not sure about all the Hagar, Ishmael, and all the mountains, but I need Jesus. Very good. Number four, be ready for resistance from religious opposition. Paul says there's, there's persecution. Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. You think? Here's the little kid brother born in the family by the first wife and now he's odd man out. He's a teenager. And God gave a promise out of love and respect and gracing Abraham gave a promise to Hagar and to her descendants like I will, I will honor you and your descendants because of Abraham. Well, because Abraham was a great person. No, he needed grace. He was greatly used by God. I want you to get that message. Well, Jesus prepared his followers for this. They're gonna, if they treated the master this way, how, how do you think they're going to treat you? Well, what would they do to our master? They crucified him. Can I have red carpet now, please? It doesn't work that way. The Lord of glory, the Prince of life, the creator of all, they crucified and hung on a Roman cross. And he stayed there. And he laid down his life. 
for not the good and the better of the best. Not even sure if that works. He died for sinners. Hanging between the worst of the worst. Forgiving the one who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Maybe that should be your prayer today. Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm not going to trust in my own works anymore. I'm going to trust in Christ alone. Paul's dealing with the, those who are puffed up, the religious self-reliant. Verse 28, now you brothers, he's talking to the Christians here, like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time when he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it also is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. These two aren't going to stay in the same house. You can't have a church that's characterized by grace and also characterized by legalistic law, rules, my standards on par with scripture. The two cannot coexist. And I can tell you from experience that is absolutely certain. Legalism kills grace. Ishmael would have killed Isaac if he could have. Legalism and grace do not get along. The conflict that took place in Abraham's family is a battle between faith and grace, a battle between the works and law, God's way, Abraham's way. Jesus' enemies, they hated him. They came after him at every turn. And he, to, he just, he took them on. John chapter eight, you hypocrites. You don't honor me. You, you're of your father, the devil, he said to him. That, that, those are fighting words. Our father is Abraham. Now, let me tell you who your dad is. Satan. Did he just say that? Is that politically correct? I don't know, but he said it. And he was there when Satan was booted out of heaven. So you probably should listen to him. Luke 18. Uh, go to Luke 18 with me. And I want you to see how easily this happens in, in, in legalistic trying to observe, trying to keep all the standards. Uh, there's the two guys praying in the temple. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax, tax collector. And Jesus is telling this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. There you go. Okay, that's verse nine. That's what happens when you think I'm righteous, I observe the law, I'm great, then you know what you do to other people? You treat them with contempt. You look down your nose at them because they aren't as advanced as you are. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, what has he done? He's mentioned the law of God. I keep the law of God. Now, is he, has he really? No. He's committing, he's breaking nine. The lying nine. He's lying right now, but he doesn't think he's lying. He's kept the law of God. Now, watch what he says next as he slides his things up there on par with the law of God. He just sneaks it right in there and he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Where's that in the law? That's his own thing. But he's saying, Lord, look at what I do and I'm doing more and I'm right up there and my commands are on par with your commands. That's a legalist. 
Meanwhile, the tax collector can't even lift his face and he's praying with God, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, he went home justified. How was he justified? He said, have mercy on me. I'm guilty. I need your help. Save me. God hears that prayer. He'll hear that prayer if you offer that to him today. He will save you. Luke 15, the parable of the lost son, the parable of the righteous father. Listen, in that parable in Luke 15, there's two lost sons, which is the point of Jesus' passage, of Jesus giving this parable. There's two lost sons. One is the liberal. Remember the the description up here, the liberal? Oh, I hate my dad. That's what he said to him. I wish you were dead. Give me my money. And he's out of there and he goes and he goes into a far country as far away as he can get from all those rules and my father and I'm going to go do what I want to do. And he wastes all his money in riotous living and he finds himself as a Jewish boy in a pig pen, the bottom of the bottom. And then he remembers his father. He comes to his senses and he says, my father, my father takes better care of his slaves than this guy does his sons. I'm going to go home to my father and I'm going to tell him I have sinned against heaven and against you. And can I please just come back on your property? Would you just let me stay somewhere out back? Because please. And the father's watching and the father sees him and the father does the unthinkable and picks up his skirts, you know, those long robes and he picks them and he exposes them white, you know, never seen the sun legs and he runs as an older man. This is unthinkable. This is shocking to the Jewish audience. And he runs to his son and he hears what his son says. My father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no more worthy. And he cuts him off and he gives him an embrace and he pulls him in and he covers him with a robe and he gives him a ring and says, you're my son. And my son doesn't go without shoes. And he puts shoes under his What is this? This is grace. This is love. This is the song, Reckless Love. This is everybody looking on saying, that is stupid. That's foolish. Unbelievable. Unthinkable. That was shocking about it. And then he says, kill the fatted calf. We're throwing a party. My son was dead. Now he's alive. He was gone. Now he's home. Whoa, this is what I've waited for. And some of you are parents. And you're waiting for that to happen in your children's lives, in your grandchildren's lives, or maybe in the life of a spouse. And you're waiting and you're watching and you're praying and you're waiting on God's timing. And then comes the other lost son. Representing the Pharisees, the legalists. And he's like, what what is this music? Come here, servant. What is the music? And what's the dancing? And what's all this noise? Your brother's home and your father's throwing a party for him. Come on, I'm not going in there. And his father comes out to him. Come on, son, come back in. Your brother, he was gone and he's home. He was dead and now he's alive. He's back. Come on, let's go party. I'm not going in there. And here comes the, the judgment. And here comes the accusations of, I've been here all this time and you've never done anything for me and no, I'm not going in and your son has come. He can't even call him his brother. And he stays out and that scene closes to be, which one are you? Does forgiveness and mercy and kindness and grace flow from your life? Or does judgment and criticism and how great you are and how everybody else has it wrong, which is it? The father invited them both. And one says, I'm just glad to be here. And I'm so sorry. And the other says, I've been here all along and I should be and they should be out. In a nutshell, that's the Judaizers and the Galatians. And Paul is saying, remember our father. We're in a family together. Don't let them take you back to slavery. 
a contrast. Look at these contrasts. It's going to come up on the screen. Just, I'm going to go through it real quickly. Okay, Between the law and grace, you have Abraham's work, Abraham's doing, and you have God's grace, God's doing. You have Hagar, the bondwoman. You have Sarah, the free woman. Produced by Hagar is Ishmael. He's born naturally, the way every baby's born, just normal relations. But Isaac is supernatural because Sarah was way past the years of having a child. God did that work. Hagar and Ishmael represent the old covenant, Mount Sinai. The new covenant is represented in Isaac. This is God's doing, and he's foreshadowing Jesus to come. There's the earthly Jerusalem, and there's the heavenly Jerusalem. There's Judaism, and there's Christianity, and this is this is what Paul is doing for his, his listeners to say, get this, get this, get this. Which side are you on? These two sides are not going to say, Ishmael is Lord and Jesus is Lord. No. Jesus is Lord. You can't have, and this guy's great and that guy. It's Jesus. And Isaac needed Jesus. And Ishmael and his descendants need Jesus. And all access has been given because when Jesus came, he didn't come to the upper echelon. He came to the nobodies, the cast out. The shepherds had access to the Savior. So Sarah expelled the slave woman. And this is what Paul's aim is. Galatians, you got to run them out. People that come in and they start adding their list to grace and their list to the gospel, you have to, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. You're talking oranges. We believe the gospel, and the gospel is clear. It's Jesus. So either you come under the lordship of Christ, or you can't, you can't stay. And we want you to stay. But you have to turn from you and trust in Jesus. And number five, live in freedom. This is the father. Come on in, son. Come on into the party. Come on. It's a fatted calf. There's lots of food. There's fellowship. There's rejoicing. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't humble himself and do it. So brothers, Paul is saying, we're not children of the slave. We're of the free woman. We've got a new family. We have a father in heaven. We have Jesus Christ as our brother. He bore our shame. He bore our sin. He died and he rose again. So Paul unites himself with these Gentile believers again. He's like, I know all these stories. I know all the arguments. I used to be them and I don't hate them, but I love you and I will stand and I need you to stand against all error that comes assaulting the gospel. My brothers, if you're in Christ, you're a child of God and you live in freedom. You're motivated by love, not fear. Belonging to Christ. So can I ask you the question, which family do you belong to? Which family do you belong to? Have you turned from your sin and trusted in Christ? When Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, or um, Romans 13 is where it is, 8 to 14. He's saying, so, so this freedom that we have, what is it, freedom to do whatever we want? Oh, no. It's freedom to live in Christ. We're not enslaved to sin anymore. We're not enslaved to selfish desires anymore. We still struggle with them, but we're not enslaved to them. We've been set free as a son, and we can live in holiness and devotion and wake up. That's what he says, wake up. It's high time to wake up. There's a, there's a mission God wants to use you. He doesn't have to use you. He doesn't need to use you. His plan is not stopped. He wants to use you and he welcomes you. Come on, be used by the Lord. He'll use your life in ways you could never imagine. So which describes you this morning? Which family are you part of? And what's your next step?
If you've come to faith in Christ, you say, but I've never taken that step of making my faith public and, and follow Christ in baptism. Hey, see me, Pastor Jamie. Stop by the Welcome Center. Say, I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to somebody about taking that step of baptism, showing everybody I belong to Christ. If you've never trusted in Christ, today, today's the day. Tell God you're sorry. I've sinned. And I trust in Jesus. Trust him in Christ alone. Will you stand with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. You are so good. You are so merciful. I thank you for your word and I thank you that all of these children of the woman once barren are now coming to faith in Christ and being added into those who belong to this family of faith. I thank you for this church, a family of believers that you have brought together. I thank you for all that have come today who are just both services, first time with us as guests. And you know them and you appointed this day and this unusual message for them to be here. May in all of it we hear of your love and your grace and Father of your Son, of Jesus. And we're asking you to do the impossible. As we think about areas in our lives, areas in our families, areas in our church, in our communities, in our nation, that we look on and we say, this is impossible. We take you at your word and we trust you we say we need you. Now, work your will in our lives. Do what you want to do. In and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.